Because what the world needs now is, can you feel the stop in the name of when a man, well, that's probably not the best talk. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> when a man, okay, so uh, here's what we're doing. Step three, the title of today's sermon is Jesus Loves You. Jesus loves you. It's easy for us in this room to believe that Jesus loves us whenever we are worshiping and praising God on Sunday morning. It's easy for us to believe that Jesus loves us whenever we are giving in the offering or we're treating people kindly. It's easy to believe that Jesus loves us when we are at Bible studies and reading scripture. But the problem that we have and the problem that the world has is we cannot believe that Jesus loves us Whenever we are stoned or drunk or high, how could we believe that Jesus loves us when we are in a homosexual relationship or a heterosexual relationship living sexually immoral? How could we believe that Jesus loves us whenever we're treating people poorly and we made huge mistakes and we're failing day after day? How could we believe Jesus loves us whenever we are addicted to pornography? This is the problem the world has. They don't understand that the love of Jesus is unconditional. Now, whether you love him or not is a different sermon. But the first time we ever share the good news with somebody, it must be that Jesus loves you. I'm going to teach you three points today on how to share this good news through the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Point number one is this. Jesus loves sinners, or should I say people who have sinned, or if I was being very specific, Jesus loves you and me, and we see this through the eyes of Mary. One day, Jesus was in a house having dinner, and this woman, Mary, was obviously looking for him. She found out he was in this home, and she burst into it, and she ran to the feet of Jesus, and out of gratitude and thanksgiving for his love, her tears began to flow, and they fell onto his dusty feet. When she noticed that, she took her hair, and she began to wipe the feet of Jesus. The problem with this story is that Luke 7.39 describes her as being a notorious, wicked sinner. She wasn't just a sinner. She wasn't just a wicked sinner. She was a notorious wicked sinner. By a show of hands, if we could see every thought that you've ever had up on this screen and we could hear every word you've ever spoken, how many of y'all in here would be considered a notorious wicked sinner? Everybody except for Jordan. That's great. Okay, so here's... <laughs> So the problem was, here she is, and all of a sudden these religious people, everybody say religious people. Religious people started saying, if Jesus was a prophet, if he was really the Messiah, he would know what this woman does for a living, and he would not allow something like this. He was talking about the fact that Mary was a prostitute. She lived a sexually immoral life. This is what she did day in and day out. And so Jesus looked at these religious people, and he asked them a question that I'm going to ask you, but in a modernized way, okay? He said, listen, if you got two people, and both have been trying to pay off their house for years, one guy still owes 150000 on his house, the other one still owes $1,500 on his house, and the bank calls both of these guys up and says, listen, your debt's totally forgiven, you own your house free and clear, the $150,000 debt gone, the $1,500 debt gone, and Jesus looked at them and said, which one of those two people 
would love the lender or the banker the most. And the religious people said, well, duh, the one that had the most forgiven. Jesus said, you are exactly right. In verse 47, though her sins be many, they are now forgiven. Here's what he was saying. The more pot you've smoked, the more wrong you've done, the more lies you told, the more things you've stolen, the more you're in a position to receive more and more and more love from Jesus. I don't know about y'all when it comes to the notorious wicked sinner part. Actually, I kind of do know about some of y'all, but I know in my life, I know that I was a notorious wicked sinner. Listen, when I got saved, the devil cried for three full days. In fact, I think I even heard him tell some of his demons, boys, we lost a good one now. What are we going to do in Myrtle Beach? You know, I remember I had a, I had a police friend that was um, in the Myrtle Beach Police Department. And when I got saved and, you know, God turned my life around when I became a pastor, I'll never forget, I saw him out in public. He said, John Paul, after you got saved, we were finally able to take our vacation days here in Myrtle Beach. And we all, you know, we all went to the, went out to the, the, the Bahamas or whatever. Okay. So here's the point. It's very difficult for us to believe that when we sinned, especially notorious wicked sins, that Jesus still loves us. We think somehow we've lost our value in God's eyes. So the way I'm going to teach you how to explain it to people is like this. Um, I'm holding a $100 bill, a very crisp $100 bill. How many of y'all in this room would like this $100 bill right now? Anybody want this? Okay, good. Okay. What if I fold this up into four or five different pieces and now it's incredibly wrinkled? Now, how many of y'all would like to have this $100 bill? You would. Okay, what if I threw it on the ground and I smushed it with my foot and now it's dirty, it's nasty, it probably stinks. Now how many of y'all would want this $100 bill? Good, you would. Okay, the reason why <clears throat> is because y'all are greedy. You know, the reason why is because $100 is $100 whether it's pretty, whether it's ugly, whether it's clean, or whether it's dirty. Okay, no matter what you've ever done, your value still remains the same in the eyes of God. And he will pursue you and pursue you and pursue you out of the love in his heart, no matter what decisions you've ever made on planet Earth. He loves you unconditionally. Now, I would say this. I would say you're priceless in God's eyes, but that's unbiblical. Because actually, you did cost him something. The Bible says he actually bought you with a price. You cost him his only begotten son. So you're not priceless, you actually cost him something. That's how much he loves you. Whenever Jesus rose from the dead, the first person the angel told of this most historic time in the entire history of our universe, the first person the angel told was not a pastor, wasn't the pope, wasn't a church leader. The first person the angel told was Mary, a former prostitute. Why would he pick somebody like that? to share the gospel with for the first time. Here's why she actually believed that Jesus loved her. Um, the problem I think that we have whenever we're ministering to people is uh, we tend to judge people based on what we are passionate and strong in. In other words, if you're a stay-at-home mom and you love taking care of your kids and they're all dressed nice and their hairs are fixed, when you see another parent and their kids are wearing mix-match clothes and the kid's got snot running down his face and the mom's not wiping, and you think, man, she's such an awful mom, what's wrong with her? Or if you're passionate about working out and health, you know, and eating and drinking right, and then you see somebody and they're addicted to drugs or they smoke cigarettes or whatever, and you think, man, they're so undisciplined. I can't believe the way they act. No, no, you got to understand, God does not judge us the way we judge each other. Um, I can tell you my life personally, 
Uh, years ago, remember those, those Twilight books about vampires that came out? It was like all over the world, so popular. Remember that? Yeah, y'all are bad people. Y'all shouldn't read those things. Anyway, so here's what, so I'm just kidding. So when it came out, I remember people in my church were like, oh, we love these books. This twi-, and I was like, about vampires? So in a sermon, I actually preached and said, I can't believe y'all, you could be reading the Bible, and yet you're spending time reading books about vampires. And then the movies came out, and everybody's watching the movies. I had leaders in church watching the movies. Till I was shocked. One day I was at home and I was flipping by the channels and I like good, wholesome movies. I do. And so I was flipping by the channels and this movie came on and this guy was like incredibly white skin like me, like really white. And he was fast and strong like me. And so I thought that maybe it was a spinoff of The Flash. So I started watching this movie and I was all into it and loving it. And then 20 minutes went by and these vampires came out. <laughs> do y'all think I turned the channel? No, I didn't turn the channel. I kept watching that. And then by the time then, I was like, who's Bella going to fall in love with? Is it going to be the vampire guy? Is it going to be the wolf man? And then I found out there was a part two and a part three. So I spent my whole day watching Twilight. I think I wanted to watch it twice. Okay, here's the point. Thank God we don't judge. Thank God that he does not judge us the same way we judge each other. You got to put aside all these prejudgment attitudes you have and share the gospel through the eyes of love because Jesus loves sinners. Number two is this, Jesus loves failures or people who have failed. Whenever they arrested Jesus, the first thing they did was they blindfolded him and the soldiers began to spit on him and then they took turns punching him in the face. Um, I'm sure if you were anywhere nearby, you could hear the, the crack of the knuckles against his skull. Blood was pouring down his face and they began to mock him. They said, if you're really the son of God, tell us which one of us is punching you. They kept hitting him. But never to fear. Don't worry. Because one of Jesus' best friends of all time, one of his top three inner circle, Peter, was nearby watching the whole thing take place. And listen, Peter was a fighter. I mean, he loved to be argumentative. He was right there in the middle of things. He loved to brawl. If anyone was going to save Jesus, it was going to be Peter. Peter's across the courtyard watching Jesus get beat. I'm sure his heart's beating faster and faster, sweat's coming down his face. And just as I think he was about to step in, a woman looks at him and says, hey, I know you, you're a friend of Jesus. And he stops and says, no, 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 I don't know him, I don't know him. They kept beating Jesus over and over again, and the woman said it one more time, you are a disciple of him, I've seen you with him. He said, no, 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 I'm not. The crowd's getting bigger, more hostile. They're continuing to beat Jesus, and all of a sudden they take the blindfold off of his face. The third time the woman said it more emphatically than ever, I know you, you're a friend of that man. And this time the Bible says Jesus cussed, I mean, that, that, that Peter cussed, used profanity, and he screamed out, I am not a friend of Jesus. Right at that moment, the Bible says in Luke twenty-two sixty-one, that the Lord turned around and he looked straight at Peter. In the midst of the crowd, in the midst of how much space was in between the two of them, all of a sudden, in the heat of that moment, the Messiah looks across the courtyard, blood running down his face, and he hears the words he did not want to hear, I am not a friend of Jesus. The Bible goes on to say that Peter went out and he cried and cried and cried. If there was ever a time where Jesus needed a friend, if there was ever a time where he wanted to somebody to say, I do know you, I am with you, I'm your friend, I got your back. If there was ever a time where he wanted somebody to say, I love you, it was in that moment and Peter would not 
do it. Now, everyone in this room has failed. You and me, we've all failed. But none of us have ever failed that bad. Not a single person in this room or anyone you will ever meet has ever denied Jesus Christ in the very moment that he needed a friend more than ever. As he was about to be crucified on the cross, one of his best friends said, I don't even know you. If there was anyone who Jesus would not love, it would be Peter. If there was anyone who Jesus would not have a great plan for their life, it would be Peter. Three days went by. Peter's eaten up with guilt. I'd imagine he hadn't eaten any food in three days, just crying at the drop of a hat, depressed, unable to sleep, thinking about what he did. He never had a chance to make it right. He never had a chance to go to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, if I could do it over again, I'd do it. They took Jesus that day through Golgotha up on the cross. The whole time Peter's watching from a distance, not ever once did he say, Jesus, Jesus, I'm sorry. If I could do it over again, I promise you I would take your back. I don't know what I was thinking. I was caught up in the heat of the moment. I was scared. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Never had a chance. Never. Three days goes by. Mary's at the empty tomb and the angel tells Mary about the resurrection of Jesus. And here's how the angel says it in Mark 16, 7. Jesus has risen. Now go and tell his disciples and especially tell Peter. So Mary takes off running as fast as she can. I'd imagine the disciples are just hanging out thinking, what's going to happen next? When is he going to rise? Is it going to happen spiritually? Is it a bodily resurrection? I mean, what's going on? And Peter's been in the corner for three days with his head down. Every time one of the disciples tries to talk to him, Peter says, I don't want to talk about it. They say, Peter, what's wrong? You keep crying. Jesus said he was going to rise from the No, I don't want to. You don't understand. You, you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea the mistake I made. You can't. I'm not even going to. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. It was horrendous. It was so awful. I can't even believe I did it. And all of a sudden, Mary comes bursting in the room. Hey, everybody, Jesus is risen from the dead. And he said to tell all of y'all and especially tell Peter. And Peter lifts up and says, what did you say? I said he rose from the dead. And? And he said to tell y'all, and? He said, especially tell you, me? Peter? Did, he, did the angel really say my name? Yes, I know it exactly. Peter, is that your name? Peter gets up and he takes off running to the empty tomb as quick as he can. That was Jesus saying, Peter, I know you think I'm mad at you. I know you think I'm upset with you because you did me wrong. But listen, I'm not that kind of God. I'm a God of mercy, love, forgiveness. And no failure you could ever commit can cause me not to love you. Do you know that Peter shook off that mistake? He believed that in spite of that failure, Jesus still loved him. And he became a preacher? In fact, it says in Acts 2.41, when Peter preached, 3,000 people, without a microphone, without air condition, without a piano, 3,000 people got saved and baptized. That would have never happened in Acts 2.41 if Peter had stayed focused on his failure. It would have never happened. Our job should be to leave this place and tell people Jesus has risen from the dead. He's got a great plan for your life. Shake off the past and every failure and go forward in the love of Jesus and you will see that God will still use you to do great things. Um, <clears throat> years ago, uh, one of the Miss America pageants, I think it was probably about a decade ago, a woman by the name of Rachel Smith won Miss America. 
And after that, she traveled to Africa and she spent so many months helping these orphan children. It was, it was a great thing she did. Later that year, she competed in the Miss Universe pageant. And the Miss Universe, you know, you got thousands of people live there, millions, every country watching all around the world to see who's going to win Miss Universe. And Rachel Smith, Miss America, walks out there during the evening gown portion of the show and the lights are on her, the cameras are on her, people are clapping, then all of a sudden as Rachel gets to the center of the stage, she loses her footing and she falls flat on her backside in front of the whole entire world. You can look it up on YouTube if you want to. Listen, time she fell, the audience was so unforgiving. They laughed and they booed and they hissed. In spite of that fall, she got back up, kept smiling, and she ended up in the top five of the Miss Universe that year. So now it's time for the question and answer portion of the show. She walks back out to that same stage where she just fell on her butt 20 minutes before. The crowd is still booing her. And they pick a random question out of a hat. They open it up and the judge says, Rachel Smith, if you could redo any moment in your entire life, what moment would you redo? And she smiled at the cameras and said, I would redo the time I went to Africa and helped all of the orphan children. She ended up reliving a moment where she made the right decision, where she did the right thing. Now, every one of us in this room, we'd say, I would like to take the camera and everything. I'd like to go back in time in my DeLorean, just 25 minutes, and I would like to not fall on the stage I just fell on. If you stay focused on the mistakes from the past, you will continue to live your life in the past. Proverbs 24, 16, when a righteous man falls, everybody say always. always. He always gets back up. Now, the best word in the scripture actually is the word when. This implies right here that righteous people like you and me, we fall. It doesn't say if a righteous man falls. It says when you fall. Now here's the difference. In other words, everyone falls, righteous, unrighteous. The difference between the righteous and unrighteous is this. We always get back up. Here's why. We know that Jesus loves us unconditionally. Point number one, Jesus loves sinners. Point number two, Jesus loves failures. And point number three is this. Jesus loves non-believers. Jesus loves people that doubt the gospel, the resurrection of Christ. Jesus loves Thomas. So the angel tells Mary, go tell the disciples. The Mary gets in there, bursts in there, and tells everybody, and especially Peter. And now everybody's excited because Jesus rose from the dead. Everyone except Thomas. Thomas wanted to believe. He had walked with Jesus just like all the rest of the guys. They were high-fiving each other, were so excited. But Thomas was like, I just don't know if it's real or not. John 20, 25, Thomas said, listen guys, unless I actually see the nail scars in his hand, unless I touch his side where the spear went, I, this was so powerful, I will never believe. Thomas grew up in church just like us. He, say, he sang in the choir, he went to Sunday school, he was on the hospitality team, he passed out mints to people, whatever. Either way, Thomas was in there just like the rest of us. He had heard the message. He heard Jesus. He wanted to believe so bad, but something inside of him just said, I can't believe unless I see it for myself. 
A week went by. The disciples are in the upper room. The doors are locked. No one can get in or out. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking through the wall in his heavenly body. The Bible says that Jesus did not look at Matthew and say, Matthew, give me a hug, man. I'm so glad that you've been faithful. Jesus did not go to John and say, high five me, you loyal man. You always love me so much. It says in verse 27 that Jesus focused his attention on Thomas. He said, Thomas, look at the nail prints in my hands. Reach out and touch my side. Listen, Jesus bypassed all the men who had faith. And he focused his attention on the one man who was full of doubt. Jesus is so loving that even in our disbelief, he still pursues us. Jesus loves sinners, Jesus loves failures, and Jesus loves non-believers. Last story I want to tell you. It comes from my favorite book of all time other than the Bible. It's called The Story of the Three Trees. It's about an olive tree, an oak tree, and a pine tree. All three trees had big dreams to be used by God in miraculous ways in their life. The olive tree, its dream was to be used in the making of a finely crafted treasure chest. It wanted to hold precious jewels like rubies, stones, and diamonds. One day the woodsman came along and cut them down. He was so excited to get started. After they started working on them, though, he discovered they weren't turning him into a treasure chest. They were turning him into a trough to hold food and water for dirty, smelly animals. His heart was crushed. His dreams were shattered. He knew his life was over. Next came the oak tree. The oak tree's dream was to be used in the making of a huge sailing vessel. It wanted to carry great kings all across the ocean. The woodsman came along and cut him down. He too was so excited. Once they started working on him, he discovered they weren't turning him into a huge sailing vessel. They used him in the making of a small fishing boat just to be used on ponds and lakes. His heart, too, was shattered. Dreams were over. He thought for sure nothing good's going to ever happen to him. Finally came the pine tree. The pine tree was actually living out his dream, which was to stand tall and declare God's glory. He was living on top of a mountain, and everybody could see him from miles and miles away. But one night in the middle of a storm, a bolt of lightning hit him, came crashing down. In a second, his dreams were totally over. He fell down the mountain. The woodsman came along and threw him into an old pile of scrap wood. All three trees felt dejected. They all felt worthless, like they had no value, like their life was over. But God always has another plan. A few years went by, and this teenage couple was about to give birth. The mom was going into labor. They looked for an inn, a hotel. Nothing was available. They had to go into a stable. Once the baby was born, they named him Jesus. And as the father, Joseph, picked up the little baby, he looked around, and there wasn't a crib anywhere to be seen. So they cleaned out the trough, and they laid baby Jesus inside. It was the olive tree. Its dream was to carry, hold treasures, jewels, stones, diamonds, but it ended up holding the greatest treasure of all time. Years went by and Jesus grew up. One day he was trying to get across a lake to go heal, deliver, set people free. He looked around. He didn't look for a huge sailing vessel. He found a fishing boat. It was the oak tree. His dream was to carry great kings across the ocean, but he ended up carrying 
the king of kings. A few more years went by and the Roman soldiers came to that old pile of scrap wood where the once discarded pine tree lay. They picked him up and he thought for sure they're just going to cut him up into firewood. They did cut him. They cut him into two very distinct pieces that formed a cross. Jesus was crucified on that pine tree and to this day, that once discarded pine tree still points people to God's love, God's glory, and God's mercy. Listen, if Jesus loves a prostitute like Mary, if he can still use somebody who has failed like Peter, and if he passionately pursues a non-believer like Thomas, then I can assure you, Jesus loves you.